Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing Presence by Amy Cuddy, bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. Now, Amy Cuddy had a TED Talk around this, which has had over 51 million views, uh, which is absolutely massive. I must admit, I thought it was just all about power poses and body language, but was pleasantly surprised that there was a few bit deeper things in there as well. So, presence is one of those things, right? If someone walks into the room, you know they've got this presence about them. If someone's on stage, you're at theatre, they've got this some weird kind of presence. You can't really put your finger on it so much. It's really hard to define, but this is what this book is all about. I mean, presence is one of those things that can help you out a hell of a lot, right? So, if you're whether you're speaking to two people or 5,000, you might have a job interview, you might be negotiating a raise, you might be pitching a business idea or anything like that. But if you can bring some presence to the table, you're much more likely to get the job done. Yeah, it's hard to probably define in words, but you can feel it within yourself when you have presence and probably even more obviously when you don't have presence. It's when you're not really there, when you're not giving it your fullest uh, is when you don't have presence. And the opposite of that is really just believing in yourself, trusting your story, being real and honest with your feelings, your values, abilities, and really just giving any challenging opportunity, any challenging moment your your best self. And she quotes Alan Watts here from the book, The Wisdom of Insecurity, which I think we're going to do at some stage. But Alan says, to understand music, you must listen to it. But so as long as you're thinking, I'm listening to music, you're not actually listening. Ooh. It's a good one, man. So, it's like presence. If you're in this job interview and you want presence, if you're thinking I'm in the job interview, it's a bit of a paradox there because you can't be actually present in that moment because you're thinking that you're in the job interview and then you actually lose all your presence because you're not in the moment. Yeah. That was a bit that I missed in terms of hearing about this book secondhand and that if you're in a job interview and all you're thinking is, oh man, I'm in this job interview. I need to make a really good impression here. Oh, what did that person just think of what I said? What am I going to say next? You're not present at all. That internal monologue is really detracting from what you can do. You probably walk out of there thinking, I really didn't give it my best. Compared to if you're confident, calm, relaxed, you can really be your truest, sharpest, boldest self in that job interview. So, she's got a story here where she uh, about investors who are measuring entrepreneurs on pitch nights, right? So, the entrepreneurs go there, they've got their idea, they want to pitch it and convince investors to go and invest in whatever their idea is. And what the investors thought were the elements of presence, according to them, are things like confidence, comfort, and passionate enthusiasm. So, it's not just about the idea, it's about all these other things that are warped around this idea of presence also. Yeah, what they found was that the the businesses that got the money invested into them, which is obviously, I guess it's a pretty good study because it's someone literally giving money to invest into something. It's not just someone doing a survey. They found that it wasn't really as much to do with the idea as it was to do with the comfort, confidence, and what she calls self-assured enthusiasm. And it turns out that this self-assured enthusiasm was actually a pretty useful indicator or predictor of future success. Firstly, in the entrepreneurs themselves because having that self-assured enthusiasm, it was a good indicator of things like drive, willingness to work hard, initiative, persistence over obstacles, enhanced mental activity, creativity, and the ability to identify good opportunities and original ideas. So, this granted enthusiasm is it's really contagious. It's stimulating a high-level commitment. It's showing that they're really confident and passionate and all these kind of things. And why they probably intuitively and unconsciously value these things so much is because these things aren't easily faked. It's this confidence and self-assured enthusiasm that you can't. You could probably fake the the numbers behind the business idea and all of that thing. So it's the unconscious picking up the things that are you know most likely to to get them the success. 
as we sort of touched on in our uh, a couple of previous episodes, like the the body language book, is that you can't really say one thing with your words and a different thing with your body. We unconsciously pick things like that up. That's why we can't really fake this confidence, comfort, enthusiasm, because it is obvious to the person watching that if you're telling a lie, really, then we can pick it up. Mm, yeah, unconsciously, because you when you're lying, you're really juggling multiple narratives. It's not really easy. So, you got what you know to be true, what you want to be true, and then what you're presenting is true. And each belief and feeling are really in conflict with themselves and each other. So, you know, consciously and unconsciously, when you're lying and you're talking shit, you're trying to manage all these these two different stories and it's really hard to come across as congruent in these situations. Yeah. So, we've been talking about this specific situation of um, entrepreneurs pitching for investor money, but really this can be extrapolated to all different areas of life because she says that, you know, the presence that you need to persuade a full room of investors to fund your project, it's actually the exact same presence that you need to convince yourself that it's okay to speak up in a meeting or to ask for a better salary or to man more respectful treatment. All of these things boil down to the same thing and that's this presence and this confidence within yourself. Yeah, to just broaden that definition of you know the entrepreneurs trying to sell their idea, you're really, even in a job interview, you're selling yourself. When you're doing a presentation, you're selling an idea also. So, it... Whenever you're presenting something, you need this presence to uh, improve the, the odds of getting the good outcomes. One of the things she highlights here that is really important when it comes to presence is the idea of power. When we have power, it obviously makes us feel good and we can be more present. And when we feel powerless, we're much li- less likely to be present. So, when we're coming up to a big moment, you might be asking something on a day. You might be raising your hand to ask a few questions from the audience or anything like that. But whenever you have these moments, you're going to be thinking or focusing on either one of two things, either the benefits of what you're doing or the costs of the action of looking like an idiot or anything like that. And when you focus on purely the benefits, you're likely to take the action. When you focus on, oh, shit, I'm going to look silly or anything like that, you're obviously most likely not going to. So what she does in her definition is says, power is the thing that makes you approach and focus on the benefits and powerlessness is the thing that makes you avoid these situations. Yeah, that's it. And that's why power is so important when it comes to presence. And she breaks down this power into two types of power, personal power and social power. So, social power is the ability to exert dominance or the way that you can influence or control the behavior of others. Whereas personal power, that's sort of freedom from the dominance of others. So, it's like taking control of your own inner resources, your skills and abilities, your deeply held values, your true personality and your bolder self. And that personal power, while social power is sort of nice to have, personal power is absolutely essential. So she's got a story of like a you know a young financier who's meant to be giving money to a whole bunch of CEOs. In that situation, the young financier's got a whole lot of social power because the CEOs really need his money. So he's got that part, but he's got zero personal power. And obviously that person's gonna be feeling very awkward and it's not a really envi- enviable situation. But quite interestingly, if you're the one who starts with a lot of personal power, the social power will actually just gravitate toward you without even trying. So, uh, personal power is the one we want and we're, we're going to try and get through presence. Yeah, she says that all the social power in the world cannot compensate for the absence of personal power. And so, the paradox of powerlessness, she says that powerlessness prevents presence. And one of the big ones, the big reasons why is that feeling powerless really impairs our thoughts. So, there was a a couple of studies here. One uh, study was called the Stroop Test 
And the Stroop test is where, like, say, you've got the word red, R-E-D, but it's written in blue ink. And so you have to say what is the color of the of the ink here. And because the word says red, your brain sort of gets tricked into thinking red, even though it's actually blue. So it's a, it's a cool test on things like uh, lumosity, any brain training stuff. And they found that the people who felt powerless were far worse performers at this. When you felt power, then you could actually release your sort of cognitive abilities and perform better on simple tests like these. Yeah, when this powerlessness takes hold, our brains become really incapable and incompetent at doing things. If your anxiety is rooted in the fear of making a bad impression especially, then the worst thing you can do is disable those faculties, which is uh, you know, it's our worst nightmares. The moments when we want to be present, if we get all nervous and get cooked in our brain, then we actually do the opposite of what we're in t- intending to do. Yeah, and this powerlessness sort of turns our focus inward. We become self-absorbed when we feel powerless. We're always thinking about what are other people thinking of us? What sort of impression are we putting out there? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? That internal monologue takes over and we become so self-absorbed. And sort of as this social animal, we're always conscious that people are looking at us and judging us and we probably amplify the effect of that though in what's called a spotlight effect. So they did like a bit of a test. They had uh, people who went into a lecture theater with 300 people and they wore this like fluoro pink shirt and people thought that 50% of people noticed them with this bright fluoro pink shirt. Turns out less than a a third of people actually notice them with their fluoro pink shirt. So we think that people are judging us more than they actually are. Mm. So yeah, in that study, they were overestimating by a factor of three. And yeah, so when you're powerless, then you think all eyes are on you much more than it is. So again, it probably has that negative feedback loop where you, you get more in on yourself and then you get more nervous and then you cook everything up even more. So on the flip side to all of this, there are benefits of feeling powerful. So it can protect us. It can be a buffer against all these negative emotions. It can incite action. So when you're feeling powerful, you're more likely to take action on things and it can make those actions even more effective by being powerful. Nice. So that's sort of the importance of power and how power relates to presence. The next chapter is about how when we feel powerful and our mind expands our body also expands and takes up more space. And of course, when we feel powerless, our mind shrinks, everything sort of contracts in and our body physically shrinks as well. So if you had to have one takeaway from the book about what power really looks like, it's the open and expansive kind of body language. And it not just only happens in humans, but all kinds of animals like primates, dogs, cats, snakes, fishes, and and, and so forth. So if you had to have the most stereotypical moment, it's like if you think about someone who is out there running a marathon or uh, when they finally finish the race and they come first, the most powerful posture is the the chest out, the arms up, the chin lifted, the chest puffed out and, and so forth. And this is the most stereotypical version of, of powerfulness. So you want to uh, be as close to that as possible. Yeah, it's really that triumph, that victory, that pride. We're really taking up physically as much space in the world as we can. And that's obviously when we're feeling powerful it's also like when we walk, generally, if you're feeling powerful, there's going to be more arm movement, longer strides. Again, that chest out, shoulders back. It's also in our voice as well, that when we're confident, our voice takes up more room in that we project more, we speak slower. We don't mind leaving a few pauses in there because the idea of speaking slowly and giving pauses, the fear is that somebody is going to take your moment. They're going to step over the top of you. Mm. But when you're feeling powerful, you don't mind. You know that people are going to listen, so you can give them a good de- good delivery, slow 
pauses and you don't care if people are going to interrupt you because you've got the power. That's it. That's a, that's a big takeaway. I've never really come across that in a book. It's about the voice. It does make sense. If you think about the people out there who do come across as powerful, if you think about the podcasts that the people are powerful, they are speaking slowly and then they take a pause and then they keep going. Maybe not as much as that. Was that did you feel <laughs> no, the power? That was good, man. I thought you were powerful there because the opposite of you think that someone's going to interrupt you and you speak really quickly because you want to get your point out because you're scared that somebody's going to come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then actually, <laughs> paradoxically, probably do come in. So yeah, voice is a good one and we could all probably improve on that and me and you maybe, we could speak a bit slower. Definitely, man. We'll give, give a bit of power, a bit of presence. So the section before was about the idea of the mind shaping the body, right? And this is the kind of thing that happens really automatically. So if this is the case... What she's doing, and I guess the whole point of the book is, can we flip the equation so then the body shapes the mind? And implicit in that is is meaning that so you can consciously make changes to actually have more presence in the room. So you, you're controlling the situation and it's not an automatic thing. Yeah, she says that when we feel powerful, our body expands. So it's an important question to ask that, okay, well, if you expand your body, do you then start to feel more powerful? And so this is where a lot of the power posing a lot of the studies came in here so one experiment they did there was five poses on screen that somebody had to look at they had to mimic for 60 seconds they had to mimic that pose they found five powerful poses for one group which was obviously the big the open the expansive and for the second group they had five powerless poses which were sort of hunched contracted tightened up and what they found was afterwards they said okay after you do your one minute of each times five poses We'll give you two bucks and then they were offered the chance to roll the dice to double their money and they found that 33% of the power group took the risk to roll the dice and double the money but only 8% of the powerless group took the risk. That's a very big difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's like 4x difference just from five minutes of standing in one way or the other. There's another experiment she's got here and this is for all the yoga crew out there and it's the effect of the cobra yoga pose. So if anyone has done yoga, it's the one where you're lying on the ground and you're kind of pushing your hands into the floor. So it's like a bit of a back bend and your whole back's arching. But in that, your shoulders are out, your chest is kind of puffed out and so forth. So what they did is they actually measured the chemicals that are flowing around the body after those poses. And what they found was, so after the pose, they had 16% more testosterone, which are the things really related to power, fullness. If you think about back to your mate, Jordan Peterson, his book about the lobsters, it's, it's where, you're, uh, where you, the, the, the chemical you have when you're on, showing that you're on the top of the hierarchy and so forth. But on the flip side, they had 11% less cortisol, which is more related to the, you know, the flight or fight kind of response and fear and anxiety. Yeah, so that was just from the that one yoga pose. And they also thought, can we find some other poses like this? That Obviously, the, the cobra pose is probably a bit tough to do in public. So there was a few things like the Wonder Woman pose, which is like the chest out, shoulders back, hands on hips, or the starfish where you sort of fully stretched out. Uh, uh, legs are spread apart, arms are stretched out. And so those powerful poses, they did like a blood test before and after. They found that people after the power poses had 19% more testosterone which is more confidence, and then 25% less cortisol, so less stress, just after two one-minute poses of the, the Wonder Woman and the Starfish, which is pretty crazy, man. It is crazy. So if you come back to this question, which was, can your body lead the mind? So you having these powerful poses affect your brain chemistry? Yes, it does in a big kind of way. So this has huge benefits, man. If you, if you go back 
do a circle loop to the, the early questions we were posing. When are you next time you have that job interview or that presentation or whatever, you can actually, this is a way of getting chemicals into your body. They're going to help you in those situations unless there's a bunch of drugs out there that I've never come across. <laughs> <laughs> it could be as well. But so some of the benefits of having, you know, this thing that she says that obviously with feeling, so if you expand your body language through this posture and movement and speech, you feel more confident, more powerful, less anxious, less self-absorbed and you just generally feel more powerful. With your thinking, if you're expanding your body language, it'll cause you to think about yourself in a really positive light and trust in that self-concept. And it also clears your head, making space for creativity, cognitive persistence, and abstract thinking. And with the body in pain, they found that actually having you know this expansive body language, it actually toughens you up to any physical pain, and also it prepares like you're prepared physically for a big challenge. So your body, right, it's continuously and convincingly sending messages to your brain all the time and you get to control these messages, what your body is sending mm. to your brain in every single moment. It's quite powerful stuff. It is, man. If you just think that the way that you're holding your body can really impact you know, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your um, tolerance to pain, all of these things, it's pretty crazy that we can consciously change how we're feeling and it can have a big impact on our results. And she says that, you know, that how you carry your body shapes how you carry out your life. So, your body shapes your mind, your mind shapes your behavior, and then obviously, your behavior shapes your future. So, if you let your body tell yourself that you are powerful, you are deserving, you become more present, enthusiastic, and you are more authentically yourself, and then you can achieve more. All right. So, some of the really on-the-ground practical advice that she's got here. So, next time you've got a big challenge ahead of you for that day... What you can do is each morning, do some kind of power pose when you get out of bed and you do it just for a few minutes every morning, your favorite power move. This is a big thing that Tony Robbins is all about as well, isn't he? Another one is uh, don't sit in waiting rooms. Like If you have to wait for an interview or an appointment, if you're sitting there, it forces your body to be a bit more hunched and closed. If you can stand up and walk around without obviously looking weird, then that's a good thing as well. Before an important event, when you go to the bathroom or elevator or stairwell, if no one's in the elevator probably <laughs> and no one's in the stairwell, pull out your power move again, get the arms out, you just won the race, get it out and then all this cortisol and, and all this testosterone will start pumping through your body and you're going to start kicking some ass. Yeah, I love it. And that's the, the things to prepare yourself before the challenge and also during whatever challenge you're facing, then have good posture as well. So, be upright and straight when you're presenting and interacting. Keep your shoulders back, chest out and have that confidence. You need to have the confidence to use the power of the pose in your speaking and presenting. So, if we go back to our voice, have it slow. Don't worry about the pause. Have your voice expansive and not like conducts like I've got some sometimes. But uh, in each situation like that, be of the expansive variety. Another one is just to keep your chin level. Don't have your chin pointing down because that's closing down towards your chest and don't have it too far up. Otherwise, you're looking down your nose at people. So, keeping your chin level. Another big one, which I need to do more. In fact, I'm not doing it now. I need to fix that. Is uh, keeping your feet grounded and don't cross your ankles. So, physically planting your, your feet flat on the ground. Physically, it makes you feel solid. Like It feels like you're steady. You're planted. Someone can't knock you off balance. But generally, when we're feeling powerless, we'll probably cock our legs a bit more. We'll cross our ankles. We might cross our legs. These are all powerless moves. So, keep your feet planted and stable and it'll make you feel more powerful. So, it's a, it's a really good takeaway from the book. It's to just have the what we were saying then, just the expansive variety, having the power move and being able to actually trick your body into having the chemicals that are going to 
give you the best chance of having a successful interaction of whatever that might actually be. Yeah, I really like that idea. I thought that, as I said, from hearing about the book, I thought it was just all about power poses and body language, but I liked that it was presence in the fact of being present in that you need to be in the situation you're in rather than having that constant inner monologue going on and subtracting from your performance in that situation. Probably falls into the category of the book that's two to three times longer than it should be in terms mm. of it's uh, it was 300 pages, probably could have been 140. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a few good takeaways in there for sure. Yeah, as, as we've said before, it was a 51 million views on the TED Talk. Publisher comes up with a big deal, says, give me a 300-page book. Yeah. She goes, oh, I've only got 80 pages. And then the publisher just, just tells her to go out and just write six chapters, extra chapters anyway that has nothing to do with anything. But the main takeaways, as we're saying, are huge. And so it's a good book with the, the main gold in it.